Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. In the beginning, that's why I know there's a connection here. Let's read verses 1 to 5. It's on the screen. You write them down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let me say this. When you read through the Gospel of John, you're going to find Jesus in constant conflict with darkness. The religious leaders are darkness. In fact, John chapter 3 says that men don't come out of the darkness into the light because they love their evil deeds. So Jesus is the light here. Now, in the Old Testament, it wasn't just Genesis 1 that John was making the connection with. But he was also making it on their exodus when they were leaving out of Egypt. Once again, it was God that was leading and providing for them, right? Some of you know the story. Now, as they were going, he led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now listen to these words, Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 to 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the Lord. It took God's leadership to guide and direct them to get them where they were going, and light was a big part of that. I've seen people drive without lights. You see somebody on the freeway, and you're like, man, that guy doesn't have his lights on. You're pulling up, honking your horn, and they're just driving, you know, probably come from the bar or something. But how do you drive in the dark? How do you find your way in the dark? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness anymore. That suggests that prior to Christ, you were walking in darkness. And I'll get to more of that down the road. But he's the fulfillment as the light of the world. Light is used in the Bible as a moral sense. It reveals what God's directives are. That's why the word of God is so important. David said in Psalm that your word is a lamp unto my feet. So God reveals his will to us in his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. But also, light reveals who God is. Bible says even in 1 John that God is light. In him there is no darkness. When Jesus comes and says, I'm the light of the world, he was telling the religious leaders, this is the way God wanted you to live. And he was in constant conflict with them. You and I can determine the will of God We can find the direction we need because he will shed the light on that. Do you understand that? But he also reveals who God is. That's why in John 14 he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So light is both revelation into his word. How do you know what to do is right? How do we know that it's wrong to go to a strip club? How do we know it's wrong to get drunk? I mean, the culture does so many things. How do we know? Well, God reveals that. 
We've got his word for a moral compass to get through the forest of sin in this world, but we also have Jesus as the revelation of God. No one else can say that. No other religion has their leader that reveals who the true God is. Jesus is the light. Now, if you were to keep reading, and I would encourage you to do this, Jesus says he's the light of the world. What does he do in chapter nine? One of the first things he does is heals a blind man who was blind from birth. And they pull him in before the religious leaders are attacking. They are in such darkness, even with the signs that point to who Jesus is. Here's a guy blind from birth. Jesus heals him. And they're like grilling the guy, you know, put a lamp under his face and let's just, let's work him over a little bit and we'll get out of him what we need to get out of him. He says, all I know, I don't know who that guy is, but I was blind, but now I see. (laughs) How many can say that, man, that before Christ, right? I remember the day I came to Jesus and surrendered and quit fighting, man, I don't know, man. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. I didn't know theology. I didn't know none of that. All I know is this man, Jesus, he healed me. Amen. All right. So he again makes the claim, I'm the light of the world. Then in chapter 9, he heals a blind man to show it. Now, turn to chapter 10. Now we're going to do, we're going to move through here. We're doing a little Bible study this morning. So I want you to turn to chapter 10. And we also find out that Jesus is the door of the sheep. Now, he's using shepherd terminology here and for sake of time we're not covering before verse i actually preached on this whole chapter once and it wasn't long ago it's probably two three years ago in john 10 that message you can get to really understand what's going on here in chapter 10 but for now jesus says verse 7 look at 7 so jesus again said to them truly truly i say to you i am what the door of the sheep. Now, that's important. That's important because he's claiming to be a door here, right? Not a door, right? He says, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. Now, listen to Psalm 118, verses 19 to 20, because I think this is connected. The shepherd terminology certainly is, but Psalm 118, 19 through 20 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. He's asking, open to me the gates of righteousness. I want in, Lord. I want in. You open the door. No one can kick the door in when it comes to God. I'll tell you that right now. Then verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And I think that's partly the background to what we see when he says he's the door. Right now, shepherds in that day, in Jesus' day, they would lay down in front of the sheep pen, all right? So they would put their sheep in there and they would lay down and nobody was going in there. No one was gonna steal the sheep. No one was gonna harm the sheep. Stray sheep couldn't get in. He talks about robbers and thieves, all who came before me, they jumped the gates, the sheep pen. They're illegitimate Leaders, They could be equated to our false teachers today that have sprung forth with all these false religions. But the point is, the only way that you're going to be a sheep, read verses 8 through 10 now. Look, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. 
You can enter into the courts of righteousness and sing praises to God. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, the only way to be a sheep for the Lord, like if you're here today, this place is filled with God's sheep. We're, we're a sheep today. We entered through the door, but if you haven't entered through that, you have no idea of the community that exists among God's sheep. So I would tell you, first of all, commit your life to Christ. He is the door. You're not getting in any other way. Good works ain't going to do it. Whatever knowledge isn't going to do it. It is a heart that says, Lord, I believe who you are. Now, we're going to move forward because there's another analogy right here in the next verse. He's the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. This is fourth I am statement. Are you tracking with me? This is number four. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so... Write this scripture down, Ezekiel chapter 34, because this is the background to what Jesus is saying here. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God indicts the shepherds of Israel because they were feeding themselves. Kind of like the guys that say, send in $100 and you'll get a healing. Then they buy a, a Rolls Royce and some. They're driving Rolls Royce, but none of the congregation is because they don't have enough faith. Believe me, they're not the good shepherd. Those are the people that God is indicting in Ezekiel chapter 34. It's a scathing indictment. I read it at an elders retreat one, one time because I felt, man, this is dealing with the elders and shepherds of Israel. And they apply to us today. We could never fall into that point of feeding ourselves because we're entrusted to God's sheep, right? Now listen, I want you to hear what he says. Ezekiel, since we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, listen to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Who's gonna seek them? Let's back up. <laughs> Who's gonna seek him? God's going to seek him, right? He says, I'm going to be their shepherd. Now watch verses 15 to 16. I myself will be the shepherd, this is God speaking, of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring them back, bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So when Ezekiel says, in Ezekiel 34, when God's prophesying through him, you need to hear this. God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to shepherd my people myself. And that's the background to Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Not the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were feeding themselves, not the religious leaders who were in it for themselves. I'm the one. I'm the good shepherd. And that's why it's so beautiful when you come under the authority of Jesus that when he shepherds you, it's like nothing else. You can't get a better leader in this world. That he will lead you down the right path. Jesus is not going to destroy the sheep like the religious leaders of that day did. Now, let's move on because we need to get through this. We're going to look at number five. Turn to John 11. John 11. It's just a couple passages over. And Jesus proclaims to be the resurrection and the life. 
Look at verse 25 in chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now let me just give you the Old Testament background. We know resurrection is spoken of in the most esteemed prophet, one of the most esteemed ones in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The Jews knew this. Now, the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. The, but the Sadducees denied the resurrection. They didn't believe anything was going to exist beyond this life, all right? But most of the Jews believed that. They knew a resurrection was coming in the future, and Jesus proclaims to be the resurrection and the life. Now, he doesn't say that he gives resurrection. Notice that? And he doesn't say he gives life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And I think that's an important statement because everything you and I hope in is tethered to Jesus Christ in faith. His resurrection is our resurrection. You see that? And so everything's got to be connected and tithed to Jesus in faith that, as Romans said in chapter 6, verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death, see that word united? Like his, we shall certainly be united with him, see that? In a resurrection like his. Now, the context of chapter 11 is Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, guy named Lazarus, he dies, and they're friends of Jesus. And so the sisters go to Jesus and said, look, my brother's ill. He's getting ready to die. And it, the, this is the weirdest thing. The Bible says Jesus loves them. And yet it says he stays there two other days. Doesn't even go there. He hangs out two more days. And it's like, man, Jesus, really, you love him? This is, this is a, really a lesson in patience, too. You have to trust Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't happen on our time period, but Jesus says this death is to bring glory. It's not a sickness unto death, but to bring glory to God is what Jesus tells them. And so it's in that context where he says, look, I am, and Lazarus has been dead now. This is four days. He's going on four days. So there's no question. It's not like a guy who said, you know, i died on the operating table and I was ushered into heaven and I saw my grandmother used to make me cookies and things like that. And I'm not doubting that, but he was, wasn't dead for five minutes or 10 minutes. This is four days now. He's dead. And Jesus says this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, right? Whoever believes in me. Now, what does Jesus do after he makes that statement? He raises Lazarus. How can you doubt Jesus when he claims to be something? Then he does these amazing miracles to back it up. I'm the bread of life, and he feeds, right, 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. You know, I'm the light of the world, heals a man that's been blind from birth. Here he is saying, I'm the resurrection of life, and what does he do? A guy who's been dead, he raises him. He raises him from the dead. Now, move to John chapter 14. 
as we look at number six, because I got to give you two application points once we finish with six and seven. So I may go through this, but the hope is that you're going to read this yourself this week and dig a little bit deeper and see how God speaks to you through this. I'll give you a couple points to take away with. But John chapter 14, listen to this. Verse six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some people get lost in what is the Old Testament background to this. The Old Testament background is this, that God prescribed a way of worship in the tabernacle. He gave Moses instructions. He said, this is the way you're going to build it. You're setting up a priesthood. There's going to be a high priest. You're going to do everything accordingly to the way I tell you. So in Exodus 26, verse 33, it says, and you shall hang the veil from the clefts and bring the ark of the testimony in there with the veil and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. So if you know the Old Testament, they had a holy place in the tabernacle. It went on into the temple as well. Same setup, holy place, most holy place, holy of holies. No one could go through that curtain. Nobody could ever go through that or you would die. God didn't play games. People think, oh, I can go to God any way I want, all this, you know, everyone's got. No, God prescribes the way, all right? And so that curtain, only the high priest can go in there once a year, and that was to bring the atoning sacrifice for the people of Israel. The blood was shed, it was put over the Ark of the Testament, which was God's law, and it provided a temporary atonement until Jesus came on the scene and died for our sins ending it all. Okay, now watch this in Mark chapter 15. It's also Matthew, verse 37 to 38. It says this, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus died. What happened after he died? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. In other words, Jesus says, man, my death is what opened up the door for you to access the presence of God. That was the deal with the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt at the tabernacle. That's why they picked up everything. They would start marching again. First thing they'd do, they'd set up the tabernacle and they would set it up according to the way God prescribed it. And that was his presence. And the Holy of Holies was where his presence really dwelt, thick, in a powerful way. And no one could just approach him. That's why the Old Testament, when you look at Leviticus and stuff, you get this understanding that there's a seriousness to sin and a seriousness to God's holiness. We don't trivialize that, right? So listen to Hebrews chapter 10. What was the curtain? What was the curtain? Chapter 10, verses 19 to 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, through the curtain, that is through his flesh. His body was nailed to a cross. He died the death that we should have. His blood was shed to cleanse us. There's no longer a sacrificial system because he was a sacrifice. And when he became the sacrifice, it tore the curtain, symbolizing that everyone now has presence to God when you come to him through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't have to go to a priest. He's the high priest. 
You don't have to go to confess to a priest. There's all kinds of man's doctrines. Confess to the high priest and see what happens. There's more I could say on that, but I'm going to move forward because we've got to get through this right now. So the seventh I am statement, I want you to turn to John 15. Look at verse 1. I am what? The true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, listen to me because you can study these passages on your own. That has to be connected to two vineyard songs that the prophet Isaiah brought out. One is in Isaiah chapter 5, and I'm just going to read to you verses 5, verse 1 through 7. Listen to the words. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out the wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. That's the first vineyard song. Speaking of Israel, God prepared everything. The description of Isaiah, by the way, is an, a perfect description of how they build vineyards in the Middle East. You see the watchtowers and everything else when you're over there with us and things like that, all right? So he does everything for them, but what did they do? They weren't bearing fruit for the Lord. They chose, God, you did everything for me, but now I'm going to do it my way. Wait a minute. I chose you to bear grapes, not wild grapes, but grapes. So the second vineyard song, I've got to get through this, is Isaiah 27. I want you to hear these words in verses 2 to 6. In that day, here's a promise. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it, keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would thy had thorns and briars to battle? I would march against them. I would burn them up together or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. God makes a promise to Israel. They're going to bear fruit throughout the world. Now, we take on the vineyard right? We take on the vineyard because we've been grafted in, according to Romans chapter 11, that the first church was all Jewish, Jews everywhere. That was the root. We were grafted in. So all of this applies to us today. Now watch, let's move forward. The unfruitful branches are going to become fruitful. Jesus claims he's the true vine, right? Now look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Israel, you will still bear barren fruit 
as long as you reject Jesus because he is the vine, you're the branches. Look at verse 4 of this, chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The key to fruitfulness is in Jesus. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivorg website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivorg or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.